All right. Hello. Welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. This is the Spirit Work Podcast. We have a special show today. I have Angel here, of course, from At Angel on the 8th day. And we have Laura Misa from House of Light, H-A-U-S-O-F-L-I-H-T, excuse me, L-I-G-H-T, so I can't even spell, dot com. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put all that information, of course, in the description. <laughs> Um, so that you can find her as well. So let me read her introduction because I don't want to get this wrong here really quick. She's got a lot of interesting things going on and I want to get them all done. So she's a British Egyptian nude and empowerment photographer, filmmaker, conscious storyteller for brands and self-love catalyst. And in addition, you lead also uh, journeys trips to uh, Egypt and visit some of the ancient spots there as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Okay. And that information I'm, I'm assuming is on your website because I'm looking at it. So it is. Yes. <laughs> Do you, when is that uh, next trip coming up actually? So it's actually the first, uh, the first of these journeys is happening on the 12th to the 23rd of September, 2022. Um, yeah. And you know, it was, it was kind of interesting and, and beautiful how, you know, everything just flowed. This was something that didn't, necessarily have so much planning you know like I'm a filmmaker and photographer by trade and you know this calling I guess came through um on my birthday actually in January so just a couple months ago and it was very very clear this calling to essentially take people on the journey that I took myself on which was you know a long pilgrimage that I I did um last winter where I went to all of the sacred sites in Egypt all of the temples all of the pyramids and I just journeyed you know, pretty deep in those spaces. And I was really devoted and committed to, you know, tapping into the different energies that these sites hold and really, you know, diving deep into the history. And I guess, you know, the, the secrets and the, the mysteries of this ancient civilization, a lot of which is actually hidden from public knowledge. There's a lot of different theories. There's a lot of, you know, even conspiracies around the, the true meaning of these sites and why they were built, when they were built, who built them. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's really how it all began. So the first one is happening in September. Congratulations. That's super cool. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> I'm kind of reminded of like the, er the earlier podcasts, like, uh, that I used to, I used to do. And, uh, we, we did quite a bit of stuff on that. We would talk a lot from, um, uh, Manly Hall's secret teachings of all ages. And I'm sure you're familiar with that book. Mm -hmm. Um, he would he would he would talk quite a bit about that and and some of the history of uh, Atlantis and some of these yeah. ideas, how that plays into ancient Egypt and then how the culture spreads out and stuff. I always found that really fascinating. Do you oh, get absolutely. into that uh, on the tour and stuff? Yes. So I mean, essentially, you know, there's I guess there's many different ways to look at Egypt. You know, there's the one way which is kind of mainstream narrative, um, you know, where all of the Egyptologists will tell you that the timeline is about, you know, 4,000 years ago. Um, and all of these, these temples and pyramids were just built for these, you know, megalomaniac pharaohs who just had these super big egos. So they always just, you know, that's why the pyramids were built. And it was really just all about them. Um, but actually, if you look a little bit deeper and you start getting into, you know, the older timelines and the older theories that say, actually, you know, there's pretty substantial evidence that shows us that the pyramids and the Sphinx specifically actually could have been built a lot longer ago. So we're talking, you know, 10, 11, 12,000 years ago. Um, 
And, and, you know, we start to look at Egypt in a very different lens. And actually the, the original name for Egypt was actually Kemet. Um, and that's actually where the word alchemy comes from. It comes from this, you know, this original word of, of Egypt, which is chem. And what, what that actually translates into is black soil. And essentially what they meant by that was, you know, this, this black soil was essentially this primordial, you know, matter from which all of creation came from. And, you know, that's why they say, you know, the ancient Egyptians, they were really like the, the kind of OGs or the founders of alchemy, you yeah. know, and, and so much of, of their practices and their rituals and their ceremonies and, you know, all of the things that they were doing, the sacred sciences, the pyramids, all of that was around, um, yeah, essentially the alchemist table of law and not just, you know, what we think of as alchemy in the mainstream is like, okay, taking metals and turning them into gold. Like, yes, that's part of alchemy, but there's also alchemy in the greater sense of like the genesis of the universe and how matter itself was formed. And, you know, this whole cycle of, you know, birth, death, and then rebirth, like all of that is, is, uh, has an alchemical process behind that. And this is what the ancient Egyptians were incredibly fascinated by and very involved with. Yeah, like it's interesting because you, you talk about the in, in alchemy, even in alchemy, modern alchemy, Western alchemy, the prima materia, you know that yes. matter and all that, and, and then you talk about on on the sort of microcosmic level, the transformational processes that you know we're trying to go through and raise our level of awareness. And yeah, stuff. you know, so they, it's, it's interesting seeing how those two things kind of interplay. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit too uh, about this, about uh, Egyptian, uh, like maybe let's say divination processes or divination practices in ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. Did they have any types of, of divination tools or anything, or did they just use a type of a clairvoyance or what was the sort of way that they, they would function with that? So there's many different ways that they would, they would use these tools. So, I mean, essentially, you know, one way was through Blue Lotus. Um, and if you look at, you know, even if you go to any of the temples in, in, in Egypt, you know, any of the, the Sa'ada pyramids, for example, all of these ancient sites, you'll see all over the walls, there's multiple, multiple references to Blue Lotus, which is, I don't know if you guys have ever um, tried it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful flower. Um, and essentially, they as, a, as a psychedelic, is that yeah, they well, they used it for many purposes. You know, they used it for healing. They used it also, you know, as an aphrodisiac. They used it. They, they would also sometimes mix it with wine, um, and they would have it for celebrations because it can also give you quite a, you know, a feeling of euphoria. Um, okay. But they they would also use it, you know, essentially to access different states of consciousness where they would be able to, you know, have direct communication with the different gods and, and goddesses and you know the different deities the neteru as they're as they're known as hmm. interesting great it seems like i'm probably gonna have to order some books now <laughs> yeah i mean honestly i would really recommend you know because I, I work with blue lotus myself and it's just a beautiful beautiful flower and it, you know i usually have it um as a tea and honestly, it just, it tastes incredible. It smells incredible. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful practice. It actually really helps as well with lucid dreaming. Um, 
it's very, very helpful to, to use that, you know, just to kind of enhance the, the vividness of your dreams to help you enter more lucid states in your dreams. Um, is, it, uh, is it the root that you use that for the tea? The it's actually the, the whole flower. It's the okay. whole flower. So you don't, some, I think it's not that common to use the stems. Typically it's actually the, the full flower. So it's sort of like the face of the flower and all of the petals. It's really um, pretty. I'm Googling it as we speak. They're, they're beautiful. Honestly, and they're just the smell is incredible. It just smells like heaven. They're just gorgeous. Where do you, well, I'm sure that you have access to them naturally, but where would one find them here? Just online? You can find them online, definitely. Um, yeah, there, there's, if you Google like Blue Lotus uh, tea, actually there's a good brand you can look up. It's called Ritual Oils and they sell the, the Blue Lotus flowers that you can make in the tea. They also sell tinctures and um, they've got a really nice oil too, which is mixed with Moringa. And you can use that. It's, you know, it's really amazing for your skin. It's, it's so good for, you know, just so many different properties. Oh, fantastic. On it. <laughs> I, I love, uh, love Marina. in order. <laughs> yep. Very cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit. We talked a little bit about this before we got on, but uh, and Angel, actually, Angel, you had the question about it. We were talking about the... Oh, the chakra. Because I, so I had heard somebody else say that, um, that like Hawaii was the location for the heart chakra. Mm. Uh, but then I searched it and that didn't come up. But you were saying that Egypt is the location for the throat chakra? Yes. So how, does that, the, the like, how did they lay that out? Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. Um, so, I mean, you know, I guess people have different opinions. And I think like, from what I understand, the heart chakra is actually Glastonbury. Yeah, that's um, what I online. But it's, the thing is, okay, so from what I understand, it's a little bit more complex than just one specific point. But essentially, it is actually possible that there are these lines that run through, but they're all connected. So the throat chakra apparently is in multiple locations. So there's a spot in the Pyramid of Giza, there's a spot in Mount Sinai, which is also in Egypt. Uh -huh. And then there's also a point in Jerusalem. And those three points make a triangle, which essentially forms the throat chakra of the earth. And essentially, from what I understand, I'm not an expert on this specifically, but it's essentially based on, you know, the ley lines that run through the earth, which is essentially, you know, these energetic grids that naturally are formed. And there's a very good reason why the pyramids were built on that specific point. And, you know, the Egyptians knew this when they were building it. They didn't just choose randomly, you know, a spot in, in the desert, or actually at that time, it wasn't a desert. It was actually very green back then. Oh. Um, but they, they, you know, they, they knew very well. And what's really interesting, if you look into the geology and the geography of where the pyramids of Giza are specifically lo uh, located, there's actually these... Um, water currents that actually run right underneath the pyramid as well and you know i'm not a scientist but essentially um that those water channels underneath is also a conductor for amplifying the energy that is like the natural energy that runs through the earth and you know even if you look at um someone like tesla nikola tesla you know his all of his studies 
were essentially all about how the earth itself is a natural, um, you know, energy conductor. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we, you know, energy is actually, it's a free, unlimited resource that actually comes from the earth within itself. And this is what the Egyptians also knew. Um, and so the, the way that they built the pyramids very specifically, you know, just in terms of the angles and the proportions, the fact that it's like a, a, a triangle shape, all of this was essentially to amplify the energy that already, you know, naturally exists within the earth and actually essentially creating um, like a kind of generator, if you will. Okay. I've seen some of that uh, in documentaries and so forth. I mean, when you're, when you're there, do you, I mean, can you, is that energy? I mean, is it palpable? Can you really feel a difference in, you know, physically? 100%, 100%. But you know, it's, it, it's interesting because I do think, you know, for me, I guess, and probably for, for both of you and most of the listeners, if you are already kind of attuned to energy, if you, for example, have a daily practice where, you know, you're meditating or you have different practices that are, um, you're essentially set, you know, I guess, attuning yourselves and, and you, you become more sensitive to that which is around you because you, you're not kind of numbing out or, you know, distracting yourself and you are actually more present in the body. So I think for, for people who, who have that kind of sensitivity, 1000%, you know, you will feel a difference because even for me, even if I drive past the pyramids and I'm not even, you know, on the Giza plateau, I'm just seeing them from a distance. I can even just feel the power and like, honestly, just the vibrations that come out of it. And it really is a portal. And, you know, I would say that, you know, I live in Bali at the moment, the energy here is very feminine. It's, you know, Mama Bali, you know, even the locals call her Mama Bali. It's, a, it's known to be a very feminine energy. Mm-hmm. strong energy as well you know bali is also an energetic portal it's a volcanic island but when i go back to egypt for example immediately i notice the shift and how the energy there is very very masculine it's a lot you know it's a lot stronger in a sense it's incredibly potent um and but then at the same time you know you have people that are i guess for the most part um not fully present in their bodies. So I, I know people in Egypt who they'll just walk past the pyramids and they, they just don't really feel anything, but it's just because they're not, you know, turned on to that. So they, but uh, I think they could be walking past a McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, I know it's kind of sad, but you know, yeah. it's, you know, but if you are, if you are sensitive and if you are tuned in, that basically all that means is, are you present in your body? That's all that right. means. You know? yeah. It's nothing crazy. We all have that capacity. Um, yeah, then we, absolutely you feel it. We talk about that a lot. I think sometimes people get this idea that, you know, like that, like spirituality and this kind of psychic, uh, psychic skills and, you know, connecting to things is like some sort of uh, magical gift that some people have and other people don't have. And certainly, you know, people have more of it and less of it or right. it's more developed and less developed. But I think it's kind of, uh, you do yourself a disservice when you think like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that type of, it's like the people that say, oh, I'm not creative or I'm not artistic. Well, yeah. I mean, develop those skills, right? So, 100%. Do you yeah. have a, a practice, um, a spiritual practice of your own? Is there, is there stuff that you do to, to keep yourself mindful and tuned into that energy? hundred percent. I mean, 
you know, I, I have a daily practice of devotion. So that means every morning before I turn my phone off of airplane mode, I sit on my altar, I have a space set up in my room. Um, and essentially, you know, I just do whatever I'm feeling like it's not, I try not to make it super rigid and, and um, kind of structured in a way because I find sometimes that will, you know, turn me off of it a bit. And it's, yeah, it's more of a free flow. So whatever it is that I'm feeling, whether that be meditation, whether that be cacao, whether that be journaling, whether that be gratitude, whether that be mantras um, or dance or movement. Um, you but especially let it flow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing. It's like, there's one side of spirituality where, you know, and I've been there as well, you can get so I guess just like regimented and it's like you have to do this and it becomes very like this strict like almost like yeah. a you know you're like almost a living chore. like a monk and it yeah and it's like you know that we we also need to remember that we are here having a human experience and a big part of that is also to just enjoy and to just have fun and to relax and not yes. be so hard on yourself and, <laughs> that's, and a, that's also medicine yeah for sure that's that's a lesson that angel's been teaching me because <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm the regimented dude <laughs> <laughs> but, well sometimes we need the regimented sometimes yeah. we need the structure but it's always you know there's always a balance yeah i i totally agree I, i'm i'm finding too like as we, we've talked about on the show and stuff before but it's like you know i do i do a lot of meditation and yoga stuff and different yeah. types of spiritual practices and focus and concentration exercises and things and you know, and I think like one of the things like I, like angels taught me is like to really kind of just be more open in the moment to like what's unfolding That's and, it. you know, listening to kind of the feelings that are coming up and things like that. And mm -hmm. before, you know, before that was kind of a weird thing for me. I was just like, eh, it doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really fit into my regimented practices. But then all of a yeah. sudden it's like, wow, you know, when, it, when you start allowing that, that stuff to come through, it gets, again, like when you talked about the the masculine and feminine energy it's kind of like yeah. there's that balance between the regimented yeah. and the spontaneous right totally yeah. yeah the medicine of the moment exactly it's also like just um some when you were talking about uh laura when you were talking about people just walking by the pyramids and being like ah eh, you know it's another rock um, <laughs> <laughs> i think that sometimes uh, we can become so disconnected with, you know, our lives because whether the, we may be overwhelmed or busy or whatever, that you forget to just appreciate the things around you. Because I can't imagine, you know, like some of these like areas, like, uh, for example, like you're in Bali or uh, people who live in Hawaii or wherever these other, um, I think one of the other chakras might be like in Peru. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, maybe perhaps just the day-to-day -day life, um, mm. you get lost in it and you forget. Um, I know that I I'm keep myself pretty busy and La the yeah. Las Vegas trip is clearly not like some sort of like natural yeah. wonder, but you forget, you know, and when I look out and I'm like, oh yeah, I live here with all of these big yeah. casino buildings, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting that how we can just step away from ourselves so much that we forget to mm -hmm. appreciate uh your back uh yeah basically like your backyard or your surroundings totally. but you know it's really interesting because i i love um you know several i guess like not mainstream egyptologists but other you know historians that are very very deep in the the study of ancient egypt you know they often say that they believe that the pyramids themselves were actually built 
as a kind of alarm clock or, you know, as a kind of, you know, like a big kind of sign. And, you know, the, the fact that they were built in such a way that makes them so enduring of any kind of, you know, weathering of any kind of potential erosion, you know, they're just so monumental. I mean, one, the Great Pyramid of Giza, it weighs 6 million tons. So, wow. you know, they were really, they were really built with an intention that these have to endure a lot. And, you know, they believed that they were built to kind of be a wake up call for humanity in case we ever forget actually our, you know, who we truly are and, you know, what is our place as humanity, you know, in the cosmos and in the universe and, hmm. you know, the pyramid of Giza inside, you know, all of the different proportions and the angles, it's actually coded within that are all of the different patterns and equations that make up the, the construction of the universe. So inside the pyramid of Giza, you have, um, all of the proportions that match the proportion of the earth and the moon. You know, you also have pi, like the Fibonacci sequence is encoded in there and all of these other things that people have been finding. Huh. And it's, it's really fascinating because I just love that, that idea that, you know, yeah, this was built so that humanity would always have a reference point to remember who we truly are and, and what is our place in this universe and and just a reminder to kind of look beyond our little you know our little bubble our little echo chamber and remember that yeah we are part of this universe we are part of the solar system and you know the fact that the you know all of the orion's belt theories with how the pyramids are perfectly aligned to the different star systems and it's yeah it's it's really just beautiful i love that concept do you that sound really cool do you see a connection to you between uh, the other pyramids, the pyramids that are in South America and so on in Latin America and some of these, um, those ancient pyramids here on, on this side? I, I do, I really do. And I think it's just so cool how, you know, obviously all of these different megalithic sites and structures, they were all built independently from one another. You know, at the time um, when they were built, obviously there was no, like no 3d way if you will you know of like knowing oh what are they doing over there no one was traveling <laughs> There's obviously no internet like th so they were kind of all built independently but i think it's the same you know obviously universal consciousness that is feeding you know this that, kind yeah. of yeah like a, the akashic records where we actually all have access to the same you know information and we can all tap into that higher consciousness and that's how you see all of these similarities all around the world. You know, even if you look at the different stories that are within the pyramid texts or within, you know, ancient Egyptian cosmology and the deities, you find very similar stories in the Bible. You find very similar stories in Vedic astrology. You find, you know, even within the tarot, it's like all of these different archetypes. There's many, many similarities, but they were all created, quote unquote, independently of one another. But really it's all from the same you know the same universal consciousness that we all actually have access to yeah yeah that same source you see that it's mm -hmm. obviously uh carl you talked a lot about that of course with the collective unconscious yes, and on exactly. and that idea, which i think is fascinating you know they always have these arguments about you know the or origination of these different ideas and you know yeah. kind of dispersion or whatever but i i think i have to agree with you it's like no, we're all tapping into that same cosmic consciousness yeah. that's collective unconscious and we're all you know connected to that source and then it feels like there's 
you know, different times in history when mm -hmm. ideas make themselves manifest, right? Yeah. I find that interesting. So what do you think is the significance today for us to understand about, about the past and understand about this ancient wisdom, how we can apply it like most effectively in, in our own like personal transformation and so on? Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, I think that there's many different things. I mean, obviously, we all know that, you know, this specific moment in history is absolutely critical to the evolution of our own consciousness and of humanity at large. And, you know, I think there's so many layers to it. And I think, you know, one is definitely the aspect of nature and how we actually treat the earth and how we actually, you know, treat each other. And I think one thing that is so important for us to remember and look back when it comes to the ancient wisdom and the ancient Egyptians and certainly cultures all around the world, even indigenous cultures today, the way that they actually treat nature and the way that they actually view the universe as something sacred and actually as a fundamental part of our existence and not as something separate from us. And, you know, the ancient Egyptians, they actually believed that the earth itself was a mirror and a reflection of heaven, you know? Mm. And so they, you know, imagine they put so much effort and they took so much care into building all of these incredible temples and all of these, you know, incredible sites. And it was like, they truly believed that, yeah, this is, this is a mirror of heaven. And so today, when we talk about, you know, the new age and the age of Aquarius and how we're shifting into, you know, a different frequency, um, and we, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, in the conscious communities around building a new paradigm and heaven on earth, like the Egyptians were already doing that. That was just their reality, you know? So I think that that's, that's a huge part of how we can actually look back to them and really remember that, you know, it's already here and not kind of projecting it as something that we have to transcend and like leave human form for as it were, but actually that it already exists and it's already happening and it's in the day-to-day -day. it's in how we treat nature it's in how we treat each other like that is the heaven on earth that we're all seeking yeah that's a that's a beautiful point and i think too it's like i i'm glad you kind of mentioned the idea that these ideas are still alive in indigenous culture because there's this yeah. you know there's this connection to to the earth and the cycles of the earth and putting yourself in in like um balance and order uh, with, you know, with the natural order of things, instead of trying to to control and manipulate nature like we do so much today yeah. in the technological yeah. world that we live in, and I think that um, the ancient wisdom and the indigenous wisdom would tell us, no, put yourself in order with the the, the with the yeah. and the earth, right? So it's not so much about um, you know trying to con to, to really control and force it to do, mm -hmm. to do your will it's kind of to get in alignment with its own yeah. flow and i think we we really do ourselves a disservice uh when we when you know what i mean when we try to manipulate so much yeah so a little uh little lesson there for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. it <laughs> seems like um, oh sorry <laughs> It seems like a lot of people, uh, you know, that we've been describing, like, are walking around with such conflict, and they're going against, you know, Earth, um, almost like if you're swimming upstream. And yeah. uh, I know that Jason and I have talked about this before, where sometimes, you know, the the flow of life is just the natural flow 
Mm -hmm. uh, if you just put yourself in neutral, then you'll be fine, right? You'll kind of just travel yeah. them. You'll end at wherever you're meant to be because that's where you're meant to be. But it seems yeah. like a lot of people are just really fighting so strong to change the current in their direction that they just end up being so conflicted. You know, just and if, if we connect this back to, um, you know, just what I mentioned before, where if you just wake up or, you know, say, wow, this is where I live and it's beautiful, you know, and this planet has so much beauty to it that it would, it's just such a unfortunate, well, unfortunate is a lack of a better word, but such an unfortunate situation that um, people put themselves in where we're just fighting against it so much. I know, I know. It really is so simple. And I think that things are shifting. People are, you know, more and more people are absolutely waking up. Um, and, you know, you see this happening all over the world. Obviously, like Bali is a bit of a bubble. But, you know, even when I went back to Egypt, more and more people are actually starting to remember, oh, wow, like we have these incredible, you know, one of the wonders of the world literally in our backyard. Like, let's go back and really you know, make the most of it and really um, take advantage of this opportunity that we have living here. So I think it is shifting um, for sure. But yeah, obviously we still have quite a, a way to go, but you know, that's that's why we're here. Yeah, quick question. That's what my whole eighth day thing is based off of that I have this belief that we are currently on, uh, if you kind of translate the, you know, the biblical seven days then we would be mm -hmm. on the eighth day now which is like the day of awareness and oh you know, wow yeah. oh that's really interesting so and then is that the eighth day is that the last day or like how long does it go how many days are there i do have a fascination with the number eight <laughs> uh, because i was also born uh eight days after my mom's water broke um, so oh, I just wow. kind of developed this idea of, you know, because, uh, you know, being raised uh, both Catholic and having uh, like indigenous spiritual um, elements in my upbringing, I always wanted to just merge the two. And um, <laughs> also, you know, with science and all of that, um, I would say, you know, who is to say how, what, how long one day in the bible is you know we didn't necessarily right. have like time <laughs> so True. i would always merge these things and i just felt like we are in that eighth day where uh i saw a lot of people uh just waking up you know maybe perhaps for the first time or more uh, more often than they would before so yeah. this just kind of like uh a i don't know if i've thought about going past the eighth day yeah, it's so interesting because like actually eight is very significant uh in ancient egypt because oh. yeah it's really cool so essentially the way that um you know if we look at the ancient egyptian deities so they're known as the neteru um and essentially what that means is actually the divine principles of nature okay. and you know so most people when they think about ancient egypt and the deities they think about horus they think about isis they think about osiris and all of these you know the the ones that kind of have become more mainstream um but actually there's 64 deities there's 64 neteru and the way that the the ancient egyptians kind of structured this the 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 kind of the family i guess you would call it uh -huh. is that there were eight um eight families and eight members within each family so there's a total oh, so that's cool. eight times 64 and if you think 64 so 64 is also 
you know, in the I Ching, there's 64, um, you know, combinations of the hexagram and there's 64 uh, sacred texts in, um, in like uh, the Indian philosophy, in like yogic tradition. So the number eight was actually the, the kind of the culmination of each of the families. So the way that they sort of structured them, it was all based on numerology and, you know, Pythagoras. And essentially each member of the family going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, each number represented a different part of the alchemical process. So, you know, it would start with the one is the whole, and then two is the duality, and then three is the multiplication, four is the quintessence, and on and on. Mm. And then eight would actually be the final, that sort of in-between stage, that critical moment of like death, the end of a cycle, but simultaneously the rebirth into the next phase, into the next family. So it's interesting that you that you picked up on on that number of, you know, having some kind of significance and, ha you know, having it being the sort of culmination, the, yeah. Yeah, the awakening, I, the transition. Yeah, because when I, when I thought, when you posed that question, you know, is there, I never really thought of, or even envisioned like another, another, like another number, you know, for me, it was just kind of like yeah. that and then you just go to the next level of or something. Exactly, <laughs> well, that's literally how, they did it in ancient Egypt it was like huh. eight, the eighth member of the family and then it would then you would go on to number one of the next family and the way that the families were organized was through the different you know alchemical processes so essentially you would have the first family at the top were the primordials so this would be like you know the most subtle form of energy right Okay. And then you would have the family of heaven. So, okay, you're descending now, going slightly more dense, but still, you know, very sort of energetic and, and still kind of, you know, air. Yeah. And then you would go down and then you would be the family of fire. And fire is always the, that kind of that first impulse. So even in astrology, for example, you know, Aries is the first sign because it's that, that first spark that kind of, you know, begins the, the cycle. Um, and then it would go down to the family of the sun and then the family of the wind and then the family of the earth. And then finally, the family of the duat, which is for the ancient Egyptians, the underworld. So, you know, it's the whole cycle is encoded within the ancient Egyptian deities and the way that they structure these families to actually yeah. show that whole, you know, uh, life, birth, death and then rebirth. And, and, and so it continues I'm definitely know. getting another book. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know that all of that was packed into that number eight. I know. Right? Yeah. So beautiful. It's thank crazy. you for thank I'll you for unfolding. You, I can send you some reading um, on that if you want to dig deeper. Yes, into definitely. It. It's fascinating. I mean, I love numerology, so it's like yeah. Yeah, I thought that I was just being like egotistical and because I almost <laughs> died um, <laughs> oh um, that with, with the number eight, then I just kind of like picked up on that number and like ran with it. But yeah, that's why everything is um, everything that I call is angel on the eighth day, because that's kind of like my, that's been my theory since I was, I think, maybe like in middle school. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I think in middle school is when I started like kind of uh, um, exploring like different religions and then was a little wow. disappointed by some of them <laughs> and um, <Yeah. laughs> well, the people in them, I suppose. And then uh, then I was just kind of, you know, I'd I'd kind of just wanted to figure or find a religion or uh, spirituality belief of my own. And then in high school, I wrote 
the eighth day kind of like poem. Um, oh. But yeah, yeah, I've always just, that's just been my thought. But now I didn't realize that I was like connecting all of that to something bigger. <laughs> well, this is, see, this is what we were talking about, that greater consciousness. Yeah. That we don't even know why, you know, things just drop in and, you know, we don't even really think about it because it's like, it's almost beyond thought it's almost beyond yeah. like the human rational mind trying to like you know have a reason for everything but it just is these these greater you know universal truths that you know we are all connected to huh. and then that stuff it seems like you know it bubbles up there's some part of you that knew you know what i mean yeah. that's yeah. That I always find fascinating and that's where it's like again if we get in alignment with that higher part of ourselves, and we kind of get out of the way and sometimes i think yeah. it requires like getting the the ego and the kind of logical mind out of the way to allow that stuff to unfold and kind of bubble up in a way. Yes. And so I think like meditation and med yeah. meditative type practices, ritual and so on are so important, right? Yeah. 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 Just clearing, clearing the channel. We're in that space. So I think we are getting kind of close to the end. We usually try to keep these things pretty, you know, pretty tight. So uh, we don't want to keep you on all day. I know it's still early for you. Thank you. We really appreciate you getting up early because I think what is it? Oh, like it's 8, fine. 8 a.m. or nine, close to 9 yeah. a.m. for you it's now. It's close. It's close to nine, but it's okay. I get up early anyway. We appreciate you being here. So, how, how? By the way, how did you find yourself in Bali? Where? How long have you been there? And how did you get out there? What was that journey about? So that was a very interesting one. So essentially, I was living in London prior. Um, I had been living in London for five years. You know working as a filmmaker, just doing the whole grind and, you know, the hustle. And at a certain point, you know, I was just getting pretty drained from it, um, if I'm being honest. And I was, yeah, just pretty burnt out and feeling a bit stuck and not really feeling connected. And yeah, I decided to essentially come out to Bali. Um, I had been here previously on a retreat and that, you know, obviously there was just something so magical about the island and I was just very drawn to coming back. And so, yeah, I decided, okay, let me go and, and see if I can make something work over here as I work freelance anyway. And so my plan was to actually come in the summer of um, 2020. And then as it would have mm -hmm. happened, I had a work project that got postponed. So essentially I spoke to my boss and I was like, okay, you know, I guess since the project is postponed, I think I might just go now. And this was, this was end of February, 2020. Um, and so I flew out here and with the intention to stay a month. Um, and then literally a week after I landed, the pandemic was declared and my flights got canceled. And yeah, just the world essentially stopped. And then I was kind of stuck here. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I guess I just sort of took it as, you know, divine orchestration because I was really wanting to leave London. And um, yeah, and then I, I essentially found myself here and I've been here throughout the entire pandemic. And um, now I'm just kind of set up here, you know, I, I really just fell in love with the place and I've been able to work remotely and I've been able to, you know, work here as well, obviously. And so, yeah, just kind of went with it. It's, it's Not a, a bad looking place to get stuck in. <laughs> no, absolutely. this is what I mean, divine orchestration. Yeah, it's like, exactly. wow. Are you, are you, uh, were you born in London or England? No, I was um, born in Egypt, born in Cairo. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, for some reason, I was kind of feeling like a Canadian uh, <laughs> tone. 
Yeah, I, it's so funny. Um, well, I actually went to international schools growing up. So my okay. dad was a journalist. And so we, we traveled around a lot. Um, and I was, yeah, I was raised going to international schools um, in actually in Thailand and Egypt, sort of back oh, and forth nice. for a while. Yeah. What would one expect from your, is it um, the, the, is it a tour? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would call it more of a quest. Quest. Yeah. What, like, what, um, what would one, like, get, or what do you, I, maybe, did I miss that? Did we talk about, like, what, what do you, like, We started uh, to talk about it at the beginning, but, yep, I mean, tell, you know, tell our listeners, like, you know, so, so, it, since they're not going to be able to go on the, this one, but maybe they can book for the next one or whatever, like, what are some of the highlights of things you're going to see? Yeah and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially there will be um, one happening next year in September, most likely as well. Um, and, you know, it's essentially 11 days, 12 nights. It's a, a pilgrimage or a quest where essentially the entire focus of the journey is to go deep into all of the sacred sites in ancient Egypt. Mm. So we fly into Cairo, but then immediately we go down south and you know, we start in Luxor and essentially we make our way up, uh, up the Nile back to, to Cairo over 11 days, stopping off at, you know, all of the ancient sites, all of the temples, you know, we have private access inside the temple of Isis. Um, we're going to go yeah. see Dandara, we're going to go see, you know, Abydos. So these were all of the sacred sites for, um, you know, the Os uh, Osirian cults and uh, Hatur's temple. Um, and then we also have private access inside the, the Pyramid of Giza, where actually, because it is on the throat chakra um, of the earth, we're actually going to be doing a voice activation. Um, this is actually our last ceremony. And, you know, throughout the trip, we have different healers and practitioners and facilitators that are going to be weaving in and out. So not only are we going through all of these sacred sites, but we're also, you know, like we talked about clearing our own vessels and our own channels um, and receiving deep healings and, you know, um, experiences to actually take us even deeper so that we can actually tap into the energetics of these portals with, you know, the utmost respect, honor, reverence, and permission. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the other highlights, we're going to be doing, you know, blue lotus tea ceremonies. We have three mm -hmm. nights on a, on a private Nile de Habea, which is actually the, the specific boat that the ancient mm -hmm. Egyptians use. So, there's no motor on that boat. We're really, really just going at the pace of the Nile, um, really connecting to, to the waters. Um, and then, yeah, like I was saying, the final, final ceremony, we end at the Pyramid of Giza, which is um, where they believe actually all of the, the initiates of ancient Egyptian mystery school, that was the final point of initiation. Um, it was inside the Pyramid of Giza and so we, we talked about this briefly about it being, you know, a resonance chamber, but essentially um, the Pyramid of Giza is measurably attuned to the F sharp frequency. Okay. Um, and if you look at the, the, the significance of F sharp, F sharp is actually the, the sound, the vibration that actually creates the, the sacred geometry of the flower of life. So it's, it's all about kind of the harm, you know, the harmonious processes of creation and, you know, all of the, the, the web of interconnection of all of the universe is, you know, all encoded within the great pyramid. 
And we have a phenomenal um, sound healer who's coming in um, and she's actually going to be taking us through a voice activation where we're actually going to be aligning our own frequency to be in resonance with the frequency of the pyramid itself, which is F sharp. Uh, I feel like I'm already getting chills. Sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you guys should come. You guys should come next year. That would be yeah. cool. That sounds like an amazing and healing experience. I love it. Thank yeah. you <laughs> so much for sharing uh, your information and your wisdom about ancient Egypt and My your pleasure. projects and so forth. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I'll have all the information uh, in the description of the podcast, House of Light, U.S. of Light, and of course, Lara Misa. Uh, We appreciate her being here early in the morning. Uh, (laughs) That's always always a challenge for me, and I know it is for Angela as well. So (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. I've been there. We've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you again. Uh, thank you, Angel. Appreciate uh, Oh, thank you. This was awesome. I love going into s- situations and then leaving more informed about something, you know, and clearly you're very passionate about this and you s- obviously know uh, what you're talking about and this, I totally would totally go. <laughs> put, put my name on the wait list. Yes, 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 definitely. Absolutely. All right, so Angel and I have our, our Tuesday uh, tarot reading that we do uh, live on Instagram, and uh, we'll be there at 8 p.m. every uh, every Tuesday, as we said, Instagram Live at Cosmic Eye Tarot. Do you have a, an Instagram that you'd like people to follow, Laura? Yeah, so people can find me at House of Light, and it's H-A-U-S-O-F dot light. Perfect. So, and of course, Angel is at Angel on the eighth day, so you can find us all on the social medias so thank you again i uh, appreciate you being here blessings and light to everyone uh join thank us you again. so much all right thank, thank you. you bye-bye <laughs> bye <laughs>